0: Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Move Nourished podcast, where we discuss nutritious eating, functional movement, and herbal medicine to help you move, eat, and live better. I'm Alyssa.
1: And I'm Forrest. We're clinical herbalists, movement coaches, and wellness nerds. Let's get started.
0: In this episode, dear listeners, we are going to be discussing how and why including fascial work in your movement practice is incredibly important, how it leads to better coordination, faster recovery, less discomfort, better joint health, and we will of course leave you with multiple takeaways about how to actually incorporate that into your practice. So for us, let's start for folks with why they should care about fascia. If you've been in the movement world, you've probably heard this. It's thrown around. It's basically another word for connective tissue people, but why should people care? How does it contribute? Why is it important when we're talking about movement?
1: Fascia is this dynamic living web of connective tissue that Mm. is throughout your entire body. Really, we can think of it less as a different system to muscles as being the overarching system. Muscles are suspended in the fascial web and they contribute their magic of being able to be tensed by the nervous system actively. Whereas fascia is that web that creates tension patterns over time. You know, as time moves on, you can use less muscles and more fascia. As we learn to stand in childhood and we learn to walk. And do our normal daily human movements, our fascia adapts to where there's less muscular effort involved in doing those basic functions where we're just held by the baseline tension in our connective tissues.
0: So this makes the term, dear listeners, muscle memory a bit of a misnomer because muscles are actually kind of dumb brutes. They're not doing a lot of the remembering. What's doing a lot of the remembering here is actually what we're talking about here with this... this network of fascial of spider webs that connects the body, and that actually is a lot smarter than your muscles if we're being frank about it.
1: And we have this amazing motor control system in our nervous system. It, it coordinates movement. So our brain creates complex movement patterns. You can think even simple things like brushing our teeth, where we, you know, typically you're not laying down with all your other muscles relaxed while you just use your arm to brush your teeth. We're standing, so we're using postural coordination. We're using stabilizers on the opposite side of our body. As we dynamically use our arm and shoulder to brush our teeth, we are relaxing the muscles that need to be relaxed. It's just that simple motion is actually complex. And then we have how many hundreds and thousands of different motions we do. Our brain creates these patterns, kind of writes the script for what those movements are. And we can think of it, it's kind of like writing, um, map on a GPS. So it creates the map of where these movements are going to take us and how, how it is that they do that.
0: And who's recruited yeah. to do them and how do we make that and the most efficient version possible? Right.
1: Fascia is so fascinating. When you learn a new movement, like you're just learning to ride a bike, fascia just goes along for the ride. The fascia just follows what the muscles are doing that the nervous system told them to do. But what happens is as we repeat movements, the fascia remembers structurally what those movements are. So it gets better at creating tension in those particular patterns, the bike riding pattern, the teeth brushing pattern. When can think of that as like the trail that gets created in the woods when you're going on a hike. So you map it out, but then. As you walk on that trail becomes more and more etched out into the forest or into wherever you're hiking Mm. to the point that eventually the need for following a map is muted to the point where you just,
0: you just know where you're going.
1: You just know where you're going. And the same kind of coordination is movement pattern. The nervous system and the active tensors of the muscles are always going to be there to a certain extent. But the more we do a pattern, the more it gets etched out or tattooed into our structure itself to where it becomes second nature. It's the true sense of muscle memory. It's really, it's fascial memory.
0: And then another important consideration here, we've touched on this a little bit, right? In terms of greater recruitment, when we talk about improving in, in a strength and conditioning sense, when you talk about improving recruitment of muscles, when you talk about ho- improving whole body power, explosiveness, you're really talking about in no small part, you're talking about working with the system of fascia just as much, if not in some cases more than you're talking about working with making your muscles stronger or more explosive, right? The power of a punch is not just your arm. In martial arts, we that's one of the first things you learn when you, if you start training boxing or any, you know, any type of martial art that includes punching. The power of a punch doesn't come from your arm. It comes from the rotational strength of your hips and your trunk and the whole, uh, your legs, you know, your feet have to be in the right place. Imagine trying to punch just with your arm. Any martial artist worth their salt is going to know that's not how you leverage the power of your body. And the operator's responsible for recruiting that and for coordinating that rotational strength. That's that web of fascia.
1: Yeah. And I I think the punch brings up the kind of the next big awesome point, which is in addition to coordinating movement, it recycles movement. Mm. So when you wind up that full body pattern in a punch you're actually loading elastic fascia that then will contribute to the explosiveness and the rebound that is the punch itself. And so Yeah, we, every
0: time you've ever done plyometrics, you're working on your fascial system. You're working people. on your fascia.
1: <laughs> yeah, working on improving your fascial's ability to spring itself. And in addition to creating explosive bouncing power, that same elasticity also recycles energy, just mm-hmm. like you can mm-hmm. think of a slinky going down the stairs. And I don't know if that ages us. Talk about slinkies. But Well, if it
0: ages you, it ages me too, because <laughs> so I think that's still the oh. best example I can think of.
1: But yeah, that's an animate object that can walk down the stairs. It has no muscles. There's no brain. It's just springing itself with rebound movements down the stairs. And our fascia will do the same thing. We can, right. as we repeat a movement, we can recruit more and more of that rebound Elastic energy and have to use less of our muscular effort and muscular power.
0: Working smarter, not harder is the motto of the fascia.
1: Mm-hmm. You think about walking. You know, the gait pattern you... is a
0: great example that leverages multiple fascial lines and how efficient we can yeah. make that movement.
1: Yeah, really, I think that that's the magic of in, as humans of bipedal walking. It's through that fascial elasticity that we can conserve more and more energy, which is why we developed this kind of odd way of moving around when we compare ourselves to the rest of the animal kingdom. But that was the game. That was the name of the game. It was, you know, <laughs> save some calories by being able to slinky ourselves across the Large grasslands. Large
0: territories, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Lastly, here's the last reason you should care about the fascial system and why it's important. Let's talk about its role in contributing to the health and resilience of your joints and helping to prevent injury.
1: The fascial system that creates this kind of dynamic adaptability in the structural system. So it allows things to be tense and lax whenever we need them to be. So when the fascia is supple and hydrated and moving the way it was evolved to move, it it makes us a lot more resilient to things like tendon sprains and muscle tears and things like that. The other thing is we're going to talk about in a second, the concept of tensegrity, but when fascia is working in a lot of balance, it takes a lot of the load away from our joints. So it it creates dynamic tension that stabilizes the body and reduces the amount of compressive forces that then go on to tissues that you may be more familiar with, like cartilage and joint capsules and things like that, that are the secondary forces. We'll talk about that in just a second. Or actually, we could just jump into tensegrity yeah. now. If you Go can. ahead.
0: Let's explain tensegrity in, in 15 words or less. Yeah. So
1: <laughs> <laughs> tensegrity is a concept from architecture. So it means integrity through tension. So it looks at things like suspension bridges and other structures archway, and- archway that are built by that are the tension creates the stability as opposed to the compressive forces of stacking things on top of each other. So you think mm-hmm. like a brick wall. It's st- stable because it's stacked, whereas a suspension bridge is stable because the tension in the wires. So biotensegrity is the idea that we have tensegrity in our own body, and that's created by fascia. So the idea here is that our primary system for dealing with the forces that we deal with in life and movement is a tension system. That means that the fascia is pulled into tension by the bones that act as spacers. So you can think of the bone acting as a a spacer to pull the fascial lines and the uh, other connective tissues into a state of dynamic tension. And that tension holds us in space in a way that we can adapt to all kinds of loads and forces. Our secondary system then is the compressive system, but that's the system we usually think about as being our only system. That Mm -hmm. is the cartilage in our knee joint. That's where forces come down through our body and our compressive protectors like cartilage prevent it from crushing us. So we can think of tensegrity as an idea that we first have this tension system. So first of all, The fascial tension in our legs, the the guide wires of the suspension bridge that is our leg, that prevents compression forces because it is dynamically holding the knee into a state of protective tension. It's only when that tension system fails um, that then, or the compressive or the forces are too intense for that Mm -hmm. tension system, that then we have that backup system, which is our cartilage, which then It acts as a cushion. So that was definitely not 10 words or less, but that's fine. Okay. Mm -hmm. So the three magic sauces in fascia that are, Mm -hmm. that make it a mystery. The first one is how we've already talked about, which is how it dynamically adapts to the motor system, etching out that pathway to go with the GPS map that the motor system creates. The next thing is that fascia can be dynamically elastic and plastic and decide which one to be and why so if you think about what (laughs) yeah so we talked about the elasticity a little bit and that's thinking of fascia as a rubber band where you put the load into it and then it bounces that load back to you so you stretch the rubber band and then the rubber band goes back to the same size sending that energy back into the world fascia can do that plasticity is the idea that you put a load into something and then that thing molds to it. So you think about like molding clay into something. It doesn't bounce back into a block of clay. It stays in what you, yeah, it's, it stays in the shape that you make it in. Fascia also does that through movement. Fascia adapts and shapes itself to the movements that you put into it. We don't really know exactly completely how it is that fascia can do both, but it can do both dynamically in the same tissues. Your tissues can be both elastic and bounce back, but they can also then plastically shape themselves to the movements that you put into them, which is quite crazy and amazing.
0: Amazing. It's like there's aliens inside of us.
1: Yes. The last superpower of fascia is the gel and soul phenomenon. We can think about if you had a bowl of really collagenous soup, where you have a lot of like collagen and like they have menudo, something like that, where you put the soup in the refrigerator, pull it out, and it's basically like jello. Or I guess we can just think of jello, mm-hmm. where it becomes solid with colder temperatures. But then you put it on the stove and heat it up, or you just get a spoon and you really stir it up, and it starts to liquefy again. And so that's this idea of it. Of a substance that can go in between gel and salt, we think of this in soup. You have to put it on the stove. You have to do something externally to it. Our fascia has this same quality. It can be the consistency of like snotty liquid, but it can also be very solid in its structure. And to to some degree, there are some parts of our bodies where it is stuck in that way. So you know, our joint Mm capsules—they're very. Dense in their fascia and don't have a lot of liquid. And then the the space, the fascia in the joints, in the joint liquid, is very liquid and doesn't have a lot of fibers or tenseness. And they stay that way. There's other parts of the fascia where the fascia dynamically moves in between that solid and liquid state, depending on the needs of movements. So it allows it to basically partially liquefy itself so that it can glide and slide during all of the movements that we do with our bodies
0: amazing so let's talk about some practical takeaways for people because all of this is very fascinating but i want to make sure that you leave this episode with the answer to the question what does this mean for me how do i apply this to my life how do i incorporate this yeah
1: how how do we train fascia
0: and how do we speak to it how do we get it what it needs and the most direct example that if you're in the movement sphere, if you're in the functional movement world, the most direct example we can think of I'm um, mechanical work, soft tissue work, body work, right? So your foam rollers, your lacrosse ball, you know, your Theraguns, your all of these fancy, fun movement tools that are becoming more popular now. Many of those are primarily tools that we use to dialogue directly with the fascia. We're not changing tensegrity by doing that. You're not changing tense... You know, you're not changing the resting muscle tone or anything by foam rolling in that moment. What you are doing is you are communicating with everything, right? Muscles, fascia, all of it. But in a large part, you're communicating with the fascia. You're providing novel and pleasant sensory input. You're providing a transient increase in blood and lymph flow, which over time, when done consistently, can help lubricate and improve the tissue quality of the fascia and all of the other tissues in that area. So especially when something is hurting, something is creaky, something is crunchy, right? That can be a really direct, easy-to-understand intervention for you to plug in with in order to speak to that piece. And also, it also feels really good.
1: Yeah. And it also, it brings the nervous system's awareness to those fascial. Mm-hmm. In fascia, you can't overstate how complicated our fascial webs are. You know, we yeah. have- We
0: don't these, really understand them yet.
1: All yeah. The we may have fascial lines that are bigger, like factual highways that We use for a lot of movements, but then we still have more complicated, more individualized fascial webs that we're dealing with. And soft tissue work, it really brings the nervous system into whichever tissues you're working with. It also, I think, helps to improve gliding, which is a really important part of getting the fascia moving, is helping those layers kind of slide and glide over the top. Think about taking your fingers and putting them on the back of your hand and gliding the skin and tissue of the back of your hand over the bones and the meat, that's fascial glide. And, that's a good example. and working with some folks, I've found, oh, the back of the hand even, it doesn't glide as much. And we can use just that same motion to help improve that glide and motion. We're not changing the Tensegrity patterns, we're not changing the link of anything, which I think gets thrown around. Mm. We're not really releasing anything. We're just improving that slide and glide, which is so crucial to fascia. And improving the
0: communication with the nervous system about that area.
1: Exactly. And so there's, I think that's where tissue work really shines is improving that proprioception and communication and then also getting that glide a little bit more. Glidey.
0: Glide more glidey. And just something that I think is important, uh, and I wish that I could broadcast to the world about uh, soft tissue work, lacrosse balls, foam rollers, Theraguns, all of those pieces, right? That is the type of remedy that you and I work with a lot for us, where it's a drop in a bucket every day over time, accumulates, yes. it's cumulative, it leads to powerful shifts but and it can lead to powerful relief from you know, pain and discomfort in the moment sure but in turn this process that we're talking about it's a drop in the bucket every day and it's something that you have to show up for with a certain amount of consistency over a certain good period of time yes. and kind of commit to the process in order to really try and leverage these gentle remedies to enact powerful changes yes you agree?
1: i definitely agree it's not something that's like uh you can just fix you know oh i'm going to fix my Tight fashion. One time. Yeah. This one time. Yeah. Yeah. It's a molding process.
0: Yeah you know, this is the Move Nourish podcast. So a couple of nutritional considerations for improving and supporting the health of your fascia, anything and everything that is be- that you can do to support collagen. Whenever you hear the all of the things about like collagen now, it's very popular in the beauty world. It's popular in the fitness world as well. They're talking about fascia when they're talking yeah. about that. So whether that means drinking enough water because you can't have nice lubricated connective tissue if you're super dehydrated all the time, whether that means taking fish oil to provide some, of that fat oilation that's necessary, whether that means actually taking collagen to provide extra substrates. Those are the three examples that come to my mind. What examples would you add?
1: Yeah, those three examples. And then along with, you know, Plants as herbalists, slimy things like okra and nopales and marshmallow, marshmallow root. those kind of foods. And then also some of our other herbs that we might even think of more as fascia herbs like Solomon seal, and crossbine things like that, kudzu. Teasel. These, are teasel. These are plants that were traditionally used to help nourish connective tissues and nourish that slimy nature. And so I think that looking historically, we can think our diets now versus for a lot of history there was a lot more plant and animal slime (laughs) yeah boiled bones and cartilage bone broth chicken feet and things like that and that Mm -hmm. provided the actual collagen substrate and then we also had a lot more polysaccharide rich plant foods. We can think of okra, Bur- but also burdock, nopales, mm. the malabar spinach, things mm. like that. You can think of the ones that create some slime and then there's others that, that feed gut bacteria and they also create a little bit of that moisturizing effect inside of our body.
0: Yeah. And then from a movement perspective, our spiral and lateral movements are crucial yeah. and often neglected.
1: Yeah. I'd say from a movement perspective, it's hard to not to speak to the movements for fascia without just going back to some of our previous podcasts on movement nutrition. But exercise science is still very, in a lot of ways, very muscle centric. I would agree. Whereas fascia craves the movement nutrition. It craves those more dynamic, holistic movements. And I think, yes, spirals and laterals, especially because in addition to being muscle centric, a lot of exercise is very sagittal. sagittal plane centric. And there's definitely plenty of fascia in the sagittal plane. So it's not that sagittal plane is not fascia, but the spirals and lateral movements are definitely pulling in some fascial lines and fascial connectivity that are often missed in a lot of modern movement and exercise. Yeah, I also think that it takes us back to our previous podcast on movement is more than exercise.
0: Mm-hmm. We think
1: about that plasticity of the fascia, that how it adapts and shapes itself to the way we move. So then we're talking about our movement lifestyle. Just what we do in the gym is not going to be enough to mold our fascia in the way we want to mold our fascia. We're going to be dependent on those movements that we're doing with the other hours of our day. Yeah. And Fascia also, we really start to think about passive movement as well. So floor you know, sitting, et cetera. floor sitting, et cetera, to leverage that passive movement, but you can also think of how sitting in a chair, we know that it is restricting movement because moving and that we're stuck in this one position. But mm-hmm. we often don't think about that the back of the chair is pushing into the fascia of our hamstrings where we're sitting, that mm-hmm. the way that the actual structures, the way that a pillow in the bed, holds our neck in a certain position that's passive load that's being put on the fascia and our fascia adapts to that load just like it adapts to movement loads so if you have a big thick pillow that's jutting your head forward your fascia all night is going to adapt to that forward head movement mm-hmm. as a movement load and you're going to get better at having a forward head i think fascia we really used to start looking at 24 hour movement cycle like where Where are these inputs coming in and how's my fascia adapting to it and how can I add more things in throughout the day that mold the fascia into the way that makes me feel better, move better, and live better?
0: Yeah, and name of the game with fascia here, people. Think about your day and remember the proverb, we are what we repeatedly do because that definitely applies here. Yeah, it's just like definitely. neuroplasticity in the brain. Neuroplasticity can work for or against us, including when it comes to our movement pattern. Yeah. And then very intimately connected to that, because that nervous system and the fascia are very intimately connected, is the fact that your fascia is what you repeatedly do. It will adapt, yeah. whether in your favor or whether not in your favor, depending on what you ask of it and how long and how many times you ask it of it a day.
1: Yeah, it's your movement and structural plasticity mm-hmm. to go with your templates yeah and the last thing movement wise is the we talked about the plasticity side but then there's the elasticity side. pull into your movement practices getting that bounce and springiness into movements is another way of bringing that in and i think you can find areas that don't seem to spring much. Those might be areas to explore. Those are areas to explore with the soft tissue work. And so then playing with soft tissue work to get some glide and some proprioception going in the area, but then doing some bounces or some springings, things, anything like that, that invokes that elastic property.
0: One other practical tip for folks, just because I see this a lot, when it comes to foam rolling, lacrosse balling, soft tissue work, the name of the game is not to smash it as hard as you can until you have tears coming out of your eyes because that's going to backfire on you and it's not going to have the intended result. So just a pro tip for folks, especially my athletes who do require oftentimes a deeper level of pressure because there is a higher level of resting tension in their muscles because they are very well conditioned and they're professional or amateur athletes. You will require more pressure than someone who is not a professional amateur athlete but that does not translate to smashing yourself as hard as you can with a foam roller and until you're wincing and there are tears coming out of the corner of your eyes because that's not going to have the intended effect
1: it's not and will definitely be a topic for another podcast Absolutely, but the pain system is intimately connected with fascia in a mm-hmm. way that's another probably another fascia superpower but yes podcast. Not but, but yeah you the no pain, no gain is not a fascial centric concept because when you do those, I think it's very counterintuitive, folks doing what's supposed to be a fascial. Exploratory
0: fascial. Uh, fascia- yeah.
1: And, and they do it to the point that it creates pain. And what we know about the fascial system is that its response to pain is guarding. Um, yes. Which is you going stimulate to create- a
0: guarding reaction, which is going to have the opposite effect that you're intending most of a lot of the time.
1: Yeah. And don't be swayed by some of the less physiologically grounded approaches to soft tissue work that are pushing for actually changing length or things like that. We know we can affect the nervous system through fascia. We think we can affect the gliding surfaces of fascia through soft tissue work. We probably can't make fascia, yeah, change Change. tissue length or make fascia do what we want it to do, and we definitely aren't going to do that by smashing or blasting or what you know, spiking, uh, spiking, where we just are getting into how much pain can we take, kind of situation.
0: Yeah. All right, my friends, thank you for bearing with us on one of our longer episodes we just have so much to say about fascia we just can't help but if you have any questions you can connect with us on social at move nourish or at alabama functional herbalism this has been the move nourish podcast thank you for listening and we will catch you next time